NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. Welcome, listeners. This is NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. Today is July 23rd, 2020, and today we're talking with the editor and some authors of the new NCTE Principles and Practice book, Writing Can Change Everything, Middle-Level Kids Writing Themselves into the World. I'm your host, Tanya Baker, at the NWP in Berkeley, California. I'm so pleased to welcome to our show today, Shelby Witte, Sarah Bonner, Tracy Willis, and Joe Pizzo. Thank you all for being here. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Uh, I would love to start our show by doing some introduction, a round of introduction. So I would love it if um, I just sort of called out each of you and asked you to tell me a little, well, tell me and our listeners a little bit about yourself. Like, what is your teaching history? What are you currently doing in education? And I'm sure everybody would love to know, what might you be doing on a beautiful summer day if you weren't in the studio today talking to us about your book? Um, I'll start with Joe and go around my screen. So Joe, please introduce yourself. I'm Joe Pizzo. I begin my 47th year in the classroom in November. I love what I do. I love my students. And I tell them that as much as I can. I teach at the Black River Middle School in Chester. I teach at uh, Centenary University. Uh, the Edison UN Learning Center. I've also been at um, Caldwell College. I've been at College of St. Elizabeth, and I've been at Union County College. Uh, I, I, I love the whole idea of having students and, and teaching students. It, it's, it's a thrill to me. If we weren't here chatting, I probably would be uh, on a typical summer afternoon, sitting in front of my computer and creating another spot for my podcast. I do a, a podcast entitled The Spot of Poetry, and I choose a poet that I'd like to feature. I, I, most recent has been Lamont Carey. Lamont's known for the book, for the uh, poem, I'm sorry, I Can't Read. And it's, it's powerful. Lamont has become a personal friend of mine. He spoke with my students at Union County College and even went to bat for a student whose brother reminded her of the young boy in the poem who wants sports more than education. And Lamont offered to have two coaches call the young man to speak with him. So th that's probably what I'd be doing. Oh, my goodness. How did I not even know that this existed? But now I do. Okay. Wow. Thanks, Joe. Sure. All right, Shelby, you're a superstar, but now you got to follow Joe. I don't know about <laughs> it's that. It's very hard to follow <laughs> Joe uh, in any respect, but um, I'm Shelby Witte, and uh, I've been a teacher since I was born, if that's possible. Um, I am a middle-level teacher at heart and spent the most part of my public school teaching in middle schools. Um, I currently have the honor of being the school department chair uh, at Oklahoma State University and site uh, director emeritus of the OSU Writing Project. And uh, my work has been and has uh, revolved around uh, middle schoolers and 
preparing teachers to work with middle school and high school students in English language arts. So um, writing project has been uh, a driving force in my life for more than 20 years and continues to be um, just a beacon of light for all of us. So I'm so glad to um, be here and to talk with you and have the audience join us. And then as far as what I might be doing on a summer day, and if we weren't in the midst of COVID, I would likely be at uh, Lake Algonquin in upstate New York at our family's cabin and um, throwing a fishing line in the beautiful still water and uh, enjoying that. But nonetheless, I am in uh, almost a quarantine-like situation here in Oklahoma. So um, hello to everyone. Hello. Thank you, Shelby. Uh, Sarah, you're up. Um, Tanya, thanks for having me on today. Um, I am going to be entering, I think it's my 17th year of teaching, um, when I've always been a middle school teacher and, um, most longest eighth grade language arts teacher. Um, I've taught from rural or urban and suburban areas, but right now I'm I currently am serving my 12th year at a very rural, small, um, school outside of the Bloomington normal area in Illinois. Um, in addition to that, I, I also teach as, as an adjunct for LMI State University, and um, right now I'm, I'm trying I'm trying to finish a dissertation. I'm so close, um, <laughs> but um, it, it's been really interesting being a, a data collector and a researcher during the time of COVID. When you mm. think that you're studying teachers and um, then schools close and teachers can't do what they do best, and you're trying to study what they do best, but um, what actually started off as this research journey has kind of turned into this support group of how do we, how do we still keep moving forward and, and doing great things and supporting ourselves and strengthening ourselves and strengthening our design and understanding of the world. It's been a, an amazing, it, ironically, it's been an amazing mm -hmm. thing that's kind of flourished out of such a, you know, time of COVID and, and everything else 2020 has offered us so far. Um, if I, if, if I wasn't here, I, I, I thought about this question, uh, as everybody was answering <laughs> a couple of things. So I'd probably be watching Hamilton for like the sixth time, probably because <laughs> I just can't get enough of it. <laughs> or, um, my seven-year-old and I, we are really big in the land of stories right now. Chris Colfer's like set of books. So we mm. would probably be outside reading into the land of stories too. We, we've been digging that this summer as well. Nice. Well, welcome, Sarah. I think Thank this you. is the first time we've met. It's nice to meet yes. you. Yes. Nice to meet you as well. Uh, Tracy. Hi. You're, hi. you're up. I'm up. All right. Well, um, I think that I've been teaching for 16 years. It might be 17. The years are kind of wonky these days. Um, I've taught all over the state of Mississippi. I started in North Mississippi with fourth grade, moved to South Mississippi, sixth grade, um, Central Mississippi, eighth grade. And then I moved back towards the North to teach ninth grade. And now I'm back where I started in the school district where I started my first year um, teaching fourth grade at um, Starkville, Mississippi, North Mississippi, where Mississippi State University is located. Mm -hmm. um, I also started working with the Ogilenguel Institute for Holocaust Studies and Human Rights in 2016. 
So I do summer seminars in Mississippi for them, in Jackson, Mississippi, where we talk about the correlation between um, black codes and Jim Crow laws and anti-Jewish laws and Nuremberg laws. And we make correlations to things that are happening today. And I teach that to teachers. Um, and because we couldn't meet in person this summer, we've been doing a series of virtual book studies. So we did Stamped, Racism, Anti-Racism, and You with Jason Reynolds and Abram Kendi. Mm -hmm. um, that, their book, we did that in June. Right now I'm a part of a book study that's reading We Want to Do More Than Survive by Bettina Love mm -hmm. about and, um, abolitionist teaching. Mm -hmm. And next month we'll be reading How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram Kendi. So um, we also are, I work with a teacher who's doing a book club for small humans, fourth, fifth graders, fifth graders mostly, who are reading Stamped, uh, mm -hmm. Jason Reynolds um, remix edition. Mm -hmm. And we're going to read it with a middle grades group of kids. I don't teach them in the classroom, but I'll be working with them in a book study. So a lot of reading, a lot of writing. Um, if I were not talking to you, I would probably be reading, writing, or sitting in a big black chair with my big orange cat. So um, that's about it. Wow. Speaking of things that 2020 have given us lots to talk about and do. Good for you, Tracy. As always, it's lovely to see you in the writing project space. Thank you. Uh, let's talk about this lovely book that you all made. It's so exciting to have in my hands. And later I'll talk about how it feels like being at the writing project to read this book. But Shelby, let's start with you as the editor and think, and you can tell us a little bit about how this book works and how you put it together. So um, first, this book is part of NCTE's Principles and Practice series. So um, can you tell listeners a little bit about the series and how this book fits into it? Sure. So um, NCTE um, has a series of books of course, called the Principles in Practice. And they, this imprint specifically was designed um, to offer teachers concrete examples and illustrations of effective classroom practices. So bringing classrooms to life in print for um, our readership and our members. And they're based on um, research briefs and policy statements developed by um, NCTE. So our um, series editor is Kathy Fleischer, and um, this particular book is situated in the writing in today's classrooms strand. Very nice. Um, the book has a lovely three-part structure. Um, can you explain how you organized it and why you organized it that way? Sure. Um, so going into um, recruiting uh, teachers to write and to let us into our into their classrooms and give us a peek of the genius that's happening there. Um, I didn't want to put too much structure um, on our authors. I wanted to see kind of what emerged and 
um, go, go with that. And so the only um, structure that we uh, used was the professional knowledge for the teaching of writing policy statement, um, which really guides and um, grounds the work of all of us um, as teachers of writing. And so um, as the chapters came in, um, the drafts came in, I started to see uh, themes, particular themes emerge, uh, particular ways of thinking about the power of writing and the purpose of writing. But more importantly, I saw that the question that the chapters started to um, come around the question of why, what is our why? What is it? Um, why is it that we do this work with um, kids? And um, ultimately, it's the whys that drove the three-part structure um, of the text. And so uh, the book itself is um, modeled into three parts, writing that enters the world, writing that moves the world, and writing that heals the world. And in each of those um, uh, parts, our authors and students in the classrooms show us the power of writing and how writing can do each of those things. And then uh, as I um, was reading the book, I noticed that within each of those sections, you have a chapter that's um, called micro and macro view. Can you explain what that means or how that sure. came to be? So, so again, part of the beauty and um, seeing what comes to, to the book um, was seeing how um, some of our authors and their students um, really were doing writing to um, change um, themselves or, or their small um, circle of friends, their family, um, whereas others were doing really um, powerful writing that were, were facilitating change in the community and mm -hmm. um, thus the world. And so um, I wanted to offer um, through that structuring an example of how starting with a micro can lead to a macro uh, approach, as well as um, helping teachers see that there's a place for um, all types of writing and all types of audiences in the work that we do. And so that that's how it came to be. And um, I think it really honors the work that uh, our students, um, the students and our um, authors did. Yeah, I, I agree. I think um, um, I had the sense that you collected the work and saw the themes, but you wanted to hear about, like when you see it, it just feels so perfect. I wanted to hear about how it came to be. And I feel like it does all the things you just said that you wanted it to do. It, like gives teachers a real window, other teachers a real window into what the practice looks like in other teachers' classrooms, and it offers opportunities for writing that really stays in the classroom and does the work there, and writing that goes out into the wider world and, and touches many people. And so what I'd like to do next is take a peek into the book with for listeners so they can get a sense of what they can find there, knowing that this is only the tip of the iceberg, really. There are many more chapters in the book and uh, uh, they will definitely want to get it after they hear some of, about some of the work. But uh, it'd be great for you to hang around and listen, Shelby, and I'd love to bring you back in at the end as a kind of discussant with the editor's view of 
how these pieces, um, what you notice when you hear people talk about the work now with some, now that the book is all done and out of your hands. Great. Thanks. Uh, Sarah, I'll start with you if that's okay. Uh, you wrote a chapter called The Classroom That Inquiry Built, Student and Purpose-Driven Literacy Learning. It appears in the first section of the book, Writing That Enters the World. And I think it will help orient listeners to our conversation to know that your chapter focuses on what happened when you introduced Genius Hour into your classroom. So maybe we could start by you just telling us how you decided to do that and what was the process of, of starting a, and running a Genius Hour in your classroom. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I was really fortunate to build a relationship with, with uh, Dr. Robin Seglin from Illinois State, who's now my dissertation chair. But um, she and I had done some inquiry work about six years ago. And, and at that point, I had already been 10 years into teaching, but I was getting complacent and, you know, everything was getting easy. And I knew that, that if I was getting easy, I wasn't working to keep up with everything. And I knew I needed to keep changing and growing um, but I didn't know how to do that and and working with her side by side um, throughout an inquiry framework in the fall um, really successfully basically transforming my own practice I, I was left in December going well well now what what do we get to do now what's next <laughs> what, what do we get to do now <laughs> we can't go back to the old stuff we have to keep moving on <laughs> nice. and so um and, and they're kind of came out the the idea of genius hour you know we've always kind of you know genius hour is not a new concept by any means but we've all often kind of placed it in this you know separate realm you know whether it might be you know maybe extracurricular activities or maybe an esteem program or something but um i i, I appreciate the freedom to bring it into a writing classroom because so much of the writing that's in involved in doing something like that um, and, and just to let my students just kind of take hold of their learning was such an amazing feel. I, I couldn't say no to bringing that into my classroom for as scary as change can be for teachers <laughs> mm. and, and not knowing never done anything like that before. Right. Um, but it was, it's been worthwhile ever since. That's awesome. And you kind of, I feel like you almost anticipated my next question, which is, this book is really about writing classrooms or, or all the writing that middle school students do. So what um, is the kind of range of writing that is part of or supports Genius Hour in your classroom? So um, I, I would say that, you know, the range is definitely from, from agency. You know, I've had students that, that had to write an email, several, you know, con constructing an email, very practical, very very real world, very necessary needs of writing to um, activism. A lot of a lot of the you know inquiry designs that students were a part of you know invited them to take some more civic engagement in their world. And so what they were creating, um, either out of agency or out of activism, also spread you know even broke boundaries of traditional writing practices because they're getting into a lot of multimodal thinking. Um, and, and they're really being the, the owners or the authentic producers of their words. You know, they're really building their voice. And, you know, as an eighth grade teacher, I mean, that's what you want for your kids, right? I mean, we, I, obviously we want that, but they're, they're getting so formed into their beliefs and kind of really asking these questions and trying to make sense of this crazy world, you know, like letting them be able to actually compose their ideas. And, and to actually give them a greater audience besides the classroom walls 
to be heard. Um, and, and to me, it was such a, it was such a freeing moment as a, as a writing teacher to be able to let them and, and see them and empower them to use their words for, for greater goods. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've kind of already given some examples like emails, but then this writing is not just for you, but it's out in the world. So can you maybe give us a couple of examples of who the writing went to or how, where out in the world kids writing went? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, I could just kind of think about some of the more, the projects that kind of stand out for my students that I've had over the years. You know, um, I had a group of students um, at a time where we didn't have any type of like, um, any type of like 3D printing or any type of STEAM program, but they worked collaboratively together to write a proposal and presented that to our school board and then was able to create and move forward and create that change and have that be a part of our um, school culture because we didn't we didn't have that but they saw the need for it. We're we're in the hub of um, State Farm. They were able to work with people at State Farm and see what they do at State Farm with this technology with this idea and they brought that back to school and they were able to write and construct for this change. Um, you know, I, I've had another group of students who um, being in a conservative rural community wanted to make sure that students who identified as LGBTQIA were um, supported and seen in our community and they did a series of um, writings, creations, visual uh, essays that just educated the community, you know, and, and we were, they were able to build a website, they were able to share their work with the, the larger community to make sure that um, those students were seen and heard. Um, so, I mean, you know, things, things from like tangible actions, like bringing new technologies to our school climate, to taking care of our heart and our social needs as, mm -hmm. a, as a community as well. Um, the, the writing in Genius Hour has just been, you know, in, in so many different directions. And for me as a teacher, it just keeps things exciting because I don't even know what they're thinking of next. Right. It's so great because it's just, they're in charge. Ah, that's awesome. I was struck when I read your chapter and I feel like your enthusiasm in describing these things that kids have done and, and what they might do next uh, really kind of captures this, but I would love for you to unpack it a little bit. Several times in the book you say, Genius Hour is more than just a project. Mm -hmm. uh, and you refer that to that in terms of like what kids do and, and thinking about assessment and all of these things. So. I wonder if you could just say a little bit more for listeners uh, what that means to you. What's the difference between what you're doing in Genius Hour and just a project? Sure. Um, when, when I first started this, you know, years ago, and I said, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Please give me some forgiveness. We're going to walk through this together. I just want to see how it goes. And um, they just superseded my expectations by coming up with some really great things. But from there on out, um, being in a small town being in the small community you know I am the eighth grade language arts teacher but what, what became really interesting over time is that as I would maybe coordinate some efforts at the our elementary building I would have fifth or sixth graders come up to me and they say are you Mrs. Bonner you know I, I know what I'm gonna do for my genius hour when I get into your room <laughs> wow <laughs> I want to study robots and I can't I'm wait ready. to get to your room to study robots <laughs> and you know in, in the back of my mind I'm like well yeah come on let's do let's study robots but then I'm thinking but you can study robots right now you don't need to wait three years to get <laughs> <laughs> 
So, I mean, one of the things I noticed is it just kind of kind of gained this momentum. It kind of gained this um, reputation, so to speak. Oh, and, and the letdown that kids had, like, leaving in March for COVID, like, to uh, oh. we, were, we were getting into more of, like, youth participatory action research. So we were kind of broadening our... We were we had plans of building a community teen center like we we had done so much work and it's it's hard to coordinate that in online spaces but um you know i, I had several students reach out to me like we had so much work to do mrs bonner <laughs> why <laughs> that is awesome but, but it, the, the ownership the kids felt with mm -hmm. this really comes back to it it doesn't you know it doesn't mean a project and it, you know and it, it the first year that i did it really pushed against my traditional grading practices which i have now since walked away from because i will never forget the student who looked at me and said mrs bonner you mean to tell me that my passion is only worth 50 points my passion is only worth 50. and i said you're totally right why should i put points on these things <laughs> and that was a lovely I mean, hour did more for me as a as a professional like really reflecting on my practice than anything I've experienced and it just keeps growing and building and it, it has really been such a um an amazing thing I mean when your kids come to you and they say you know Mrs. Bonner this is the first time I've really been able to think and I'm mm -hmm. like yes yeah that, that's what we want you to do yes right. well thank you for uh the work you're doing in your classroom in your community and thank you for writing taking time to write about it and then to be here with us is so great to get to talk to you about your yeah work absolutely today, thank Sarah. you so much uh tracy you're up next your chapter that's my kind of magic writing to build community with middle level kids appears in a section of this book called writing that moves the world tell tell us how does the work you discuss in this chapter move the world? I think that in order to move the world, like we first have to know who we are. And, and that's where we start. I start with my students, like, what do you believe? Um, and, and what do those beliefs mean to you? And, and what do you want? You know, so first we have to get to know ourselves and we write about who we are as people I write when they write, we get to know each other that way. Um, and then we start thinking about really, what is it that we want from this world that we are in and what, how can we change it? How can we, um, how are we affected by what's going on in the world? Um, and that's what I mean when I say that, like when I ask them all these questions and, and provide all of these pieces of mentor text for them, it's for them to find the answers because like, I don't have any of those answers. And um, that's kind of like their way, their time to discover who they are and what they want. And then they just write their way out of it or into the world in a way that prepares them to move the world or allows them really to move the world my students writing is in this book and every time I see it I'm just like blown away when I see Bram's name and Jada's name and Chloe's name and so many names that aren't there but could be there and will be there sometime in the future just because they realized there is a power behind their their voice that they they matter their voices are important in this world so 
I think that that's how we move the world by first recognizing who we are and what we want and how we want to change things. I want to take a small pause and like, and say to Sarah that she showed a lot of self-control to not just start singing right my way out, but, <laughs> but good job. I also had the thought, I saw it on your mind. <laughs> uh, Tracy, your students' poetry is in the book, but so is yours. And, uh, you know, I've seen you um, speak before, so... Uh, I could really hear your voice in this chapter, and it was so, uh, it's, it is lovely to see your kids writing, but also I think this practice of writing when kids write is really, um, it's really obvious in your chapter, that your examples and the kids' examples um, come up against each other in this beautiful way in the chapter that I think is great. Um, I want to say it's really clear, you know, the, the chapter's about ninth graders. It, you tell a story about a principal who's like, why do all your kids read books all the time? And then, I mean, the, the thing I was totally left with that I can't stop thinking about that even, I, like it's got a big exclamation point in my set of questions for today is your kids write so much poetry. Uh, they write it for all these different purposes and all these in, in all these different ways. Um, why poetry, Tracy? Because that's how we think. We don't think in essays, you know? We don't think in complete sentences or full paragraphs. We think in choppy little pieces of, like, here's this idea and this idea and this idea. And they don't all necessarily fit together so like you have to start putting them down or you're going to lose them and there's this um there's this uh book by sharon creech love that dog yeah. where the main character jack says you just have to write short sentences and <laughs> and i was i think like, like that's how i think i think in little bitty pieces of thought and they don't all fit together all at once, but this piece that I thought two weeks ago might go with this piece that I thought yesterday, and, and it fits together. And that's why I have like 20,000 journals and I'll pick one up and I'll go, oh, that was a really cool thought. I could do this with that, you know? <laughs> so that's how I think that most of us don't think in, in big pieces we think in tiny pieces and we speak in tiny pieces and we read that way too. Like when, we, when you read something, you take in this part and you kind of think about it and then you connect it to this next part. And I think that that's what poetry does. Um, it allows us to worry less about punctuation. Mm -hmm. It allows us to um, kind of like, I'll tell this really quick story about Bram. Um, the first time Bram turned in a piece of writing, it was completely and totally plagiarized. Like, just printed out from the internet. Here, this, and I put my name on it. <laughs> and, so, and so I was like, come here, dude. Hey, what's this about? And he was like, what? And I said, you didn't write this. And he was like, I know, but like, that's what everybody's doing. Was like, All the cool kids do it. 
I was like, okay, but do you realize that like you have thoughts and ideas that are important and these aren't yours? And I know that you can share your thoughts and ideas. So let's try that. And he, he never stopped. When he realized that he was a writer, that he realized that, that he had important things to share, forget about it. You know, and he <laughs> laugh about that, that, that piece of um, poetry that he turned in that was clearly not his. <laughs> <laughs> right. So like right today, like sometimes I'll go and like I went to visit them before the world closed for business. Mm-hmm. And um, I gave him a journal and, and he was like, you're back. And I was like, yeah, I went, no. But <laughs> anyway, um, I, I just think that that's why poetry is so important, that it gives students an opportunity to just put their ideas down and for those ideas to be accepted as important, to know that your ideas matter, your voice matters, that you can change things. Uh, that's uh, I hope that answered your question. I'm it really totally, it, it more than answered my question. It <laughs> answered my question. It uh, expanded my heart. It provided an example. It did all the things, Tracy. Okay. Um, and I think I want to follow it up with a question that might seem mundane, but I, you and I both know that in the world of teaching English language arts in the last many, however many years, that poetry might have received short shrift, that there's been this push toward, you know, arguments and informational writing and, and um, sort of a strict adherence to some kind of uh, work that some people think does more work in the world. So I'd love to follow up this like very, like you've given all these great reasons why poetry is important, which make my heart sing. And I want to also just um, ask, how did you, or how are these, how does this poetry writing practice illuminate some principles that NCT has also put forward about writing for kids? Like, what, like, just to, like, make that, to go back to the argument writing, what work is this doing in the world of some principles about writing? I just, I think that, you can find the argument in a poem. You can find the information in a poem. I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. I mean, I know what we're supposed to do. I know what, um, but I also know that I can be moved to agree with you in a poem probably faster than I would in an essay. But I'll, I'll go on and answer your question. But <laughs> <laughs> No, I, that was a great first answer. I like it. <laughs> Um, I really uh, think about the the writing and reading are related that that there's no way around it and when I think about how um, Mr. Hudson stops me and said I don't know what you're doing but like everywhere I look there's a ninth grader with a book and um, and I said it's because they recognize that they are writers Mm-hmm. And that the only way to get better is to look at who's doing it well. Mm-hmm. And so readers make the best writers, writers make the best readers, because you're reading to figure out not just 
what's going on in this piece of text, but also what is this writer doing that is going to make me want to do whatever this writer wants me to do, you know? So just the, the very principle of writing and reading are related, um, that conventions in writing, like the way that we worked on conventions was just to pull sentences from award-winning books and say, let's look at what this writer did well. How did this writer use whatever part of speech? How did this writer use punctuation to get their point across? Even though this is a fragment, what does it do for you? You know, so if you can take, you can do that with a poem, you can do that. Like, like there's this poem by um, Kelly Norman Ellis, Raised by Women. It's filled with gerund phrases. And to me, you, you see this convention that you're, you've taught about, you've talked about. I will never forget, this was in eighth grade, an eighth grade class in Northwest Rankin, and one of my students was just, <laughs> we were reading that poem, and he said, he raised his hand, he said, this poem uses a lot of gerund phrases, and I said, well, I'll be doggone. It's <laughs> you know, like, look at you. Yes, it certainly does. Um, just so I cannot be convinced that poetry can't do the job, but um, I'm not like saying that we have to now write all of our arguments and infor informative text through poetry, but I'm just saying it can be effective. Um, and we can incorporate poetry in, in more than just the month of April. Amen. Thank you. Um, I want to round out my conversation with you around the question of um, assessment and response because um, peppered throughout, uh, we see you responding to student work in uh, very, I think, beautiful and humane ways. And in the end of your chapter, you address response and you. Um, you write, first, students need to understand that their writing is not broken, that whatever apprehension they are feeling about their words is the way that most writers feel too. Um, I just want to like implant that in the mind of every grown-up who responds to student writers everywhere. If I, could, if I could make one thing happen, it would be this. Um, I wonder if you could maybe just say a few words from teacher to teacher about uh, what you feel is the role of teacher feedback in the writing classroom, because I think this is a kind of um, revolutionary view for a lot of people. Sometimes I've, I've been in meetings, uh, like where you'll be like in an ELA planning meeting or a meeting where they're talking about like the writing test and I will hear teachers say students can't write and it will like break my heart into a million pieces. And they'll say, well, they can't form sentences and they can't do whatever. And I was like, they can do all the things, but if it's not relevant to them, you know, like why would they want to, mm -hmm. you know? So, and, and then when we, get them to write something and they show it to us 
and we tear it apart, why would they want to keep writing? Like if, if you were just truly going to take my, and, and okay, so here's the, here's the other thing that I feel like, honestly, like why writers write and then they rewrite and they rewrite and they rewrite and then they hand it to an editor and then the editor gives it back and says, rewrite it again. And we go through this huge, amazing process where you get, you like if I ever looked at my first draft of this chapter and then looked at this final draft in this book, it would be so different. It was like this, this birth and growth and, and develop, and it's, it's an amazing process, right? But that's not what we ask students to do. We ask students to write this thing. Here, let me see it. Let me rip it apart. Here, here it is, back, given back to you and with a grade on it. And I'm like, that just seems counterintuitive to what we want to see happen. So like, why would we do that to kids? Cause that's not what real writers do. And as a teacher, I feel like, first of all, you're, don't ask me to, what you can do to fix it because it's not broken. <laughs> and, and I ask them to read it to me. I'm not going to read it. I want to hear it in your voice. You sit right here, you read it to me. It's just me and you, and I don't know what everybody else is doing, but <laughs> I better get to doing whatever. So this is our time to look at each other. Like, I'm just listening. I don't have a pen. I'm, I'm just like, okay. So first, when you finish reading it, then you tell me what you like about it. You tell me what you don't like about it. I tell you what I liked about it. I tell you what... I didn't understand or what I have a question about, not what you can do better. Mm. So I feel like, like it's my responsibility to make sure you know you are a writer, you have something to say, your voice matters, I'm just here to listen. And when that kid gets finished reading and talking about their writing, usually if they read their writing aloud, they're like, that's not what I meant to say. I meant to say, yeah. just, hold on, just finish reading it. And then you can put notes in the side about what you meant to say, but finish reading it. Now, how do you feel about it? Mm. What can you, what do you, what did you want to say? Can you say it better? Can you say it differently? That's all on you. Um, I had the hardest time breaking through the, just tell me what to do. Just tell me how to fix it. Mm. And, and it takes probably like a good three or four weeks before they realize I am not going to tell you what to do. <laughs> I am not going to tell you how to fix it. Liberating this is Yeah. So uh, if I could stop being pressured to grade things and having X number of grades in the grade book by the end of the nine weeks, we could for sure change things like you know so like when sarah was talking about not grading i was just like i need to know more about this not grading <laughs> and how i can get away with it you mm -hmm. know? because that's what i don't think that we should be grading a student's first draft mm -hmm. that's crazy talk <laughs> and i don't even again know if i've answered your question or rambled on 
But, <laughs> but I think that that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Perfect. You said all the right things, Tracy. Okay. Thank you. Uh, I am going to go ahead and move on to Joe, whose chapter uh, conveying sympathy through carefully crafted words, rehearsal meets reality, appears in the last section of the book, Writing That Heals the World. Joe. <laughs> I have to say that I'm overwhelmed by the, the talent that I'm, I'm, I'm seated around. Uh, Welcome to my life, Joe. That's how I feel all the time. <laughs> this is the best of the best. I'm sitting here and in almost 47 years, I'm still learning every time someone makes a response and I'm admiring what's going on in the different classrooms. Uh, it, it is so uplifting to, yeah. to hear that positive message. I, I think as, as educators, we hear far too often uh, those that can do, those that can't teach. And that's not the saying. The saying was done by some little known minor philosopher. I think his name was Aristotle. <laughs> he said, those that can do, those that understand, teach. That's a big wow. difference. That's a huge difference. Yeah. yeah. And we need to get that message out more and more to allow lessons like Sarah's creating, like Tracy's creating. And, and those things need to be praised and elevated. They're finding avenues through which their students can travel. They're finding ways to have those students tie into their own personal voices. That's the key, that's the critical nature of effective teaching, to be a human first before anything else. Yeah. So um, thank you, Joe. That was very generous and gets us to your chapter, which I have to say, you certainly didn't know you, what we would be facing in 2020 when you wrote this chapter. But your chapter um, is conveying sympathy through carefully crafted words is um, about just that. Uh, and I think I have to start... I mean, we can't talk about your chapter without reflecting on this moment that we're living in right now and all the needs for writing that heals that we're seeing. Um, you must have thought about the students in your classes and what these lessons on, on um, uh, conveying sympathy must mean to them right now. There is a genesis to this entire project. And it started a few years ago. I was at church. I'm an usher and an elector at church. And I had collected the monies and was putting them into the, the collection bag. In the back of the, uh, the church, a young lady from college had come with her boyfriend and wanted to introduce him to the pastor. And she collapsed. Passed out, hit the floor. Her mom and dad were there. They gathered around her, and I thought, my God, I, I'm not a medical person, but I've got to do something. So I ran to the front of the church, found a sink, wet some paper towels, took some dry paper towels, brought them back and said, here, use these to, to make her comfortable, to, to at least keep her cool until the, the help can come. And unfortunately, the young lady we found out later had passed away as soon as she hit the floor. 
she had AFib, was not on meds, and it was immediate. And the parents were devastated. Mm. I was so devastated, I went home and I wrote about it. And I, I, I posted it up uh, on social media. <clears throat> when I would meet the parents of that young lady, they would always be very grateful and thanking me for, for my concern. And I thought, all I did was get a couple of paper towels. Mm. So I, I guess we never realized the impact of what we're doing and how impactful that can be, how important it can be to someone. Well, I was doing a lesson in school with uh, Hemingway's short story. And the short story is entitled A Day's Wait. It's about a young man who's sick, wants to go to school. His dad says, no, 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 you have to go upstairs. Calls the doctor. Doctor comes, takes his temperature. And he hears the doctor say it's 102.4. Well, the dad wants to deal with the young man by reading to him and comforting him. He says, no, 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 dad, it's fine. You can go, go somewhere. So the dad goes out hunting. It's Hemingway. They'll be hunting. <laughs> dad comes back and he tries to read again to the young man from the young man's favorite book, Howard Pyle's Book of Pirates. And the young man interrupts him and says, excuse me, dad, uh, can I ask you a question? Sure, Shots. Well, what would you like? Can you tell me when, you know, I'm going to die? What? <laughs> yeah, could, could, you, could you let me know when I'm going to die? You're not going to die. Where'd you get that idea? Well, the doctor said, I have a really high fever. The dad says, it's 102. He says, no, no, it's 102.4. <laughs> People don't die from 102.4. Yes, they do. When we live in <laughs> France, the boy said that you can die with a temperature of 40 degrees. I have 102. <laughs> <laughs> no shots. That's the difference between Celsius and Fahrenheit. And, and perspective brings so much to that. And I thought, okay, I want something creative for this story. And I, I reached back to that incident uh, that I saw in the church. And I said, let's write a comfort note to shots. And let's follow the typical, don't use specifics, don't say you did, say it seems. First make a connection, then it seems. Um, you may want to consider. When you go through all of these steps of connecting first, then saying that you think there was a problem, restating the problem, and then don't tell a solution. Suggest one. You might wish to consider. It might be helpful if you think about. But I thought, you know, there's not enough to this. Because the most significance that can happen when someone is in pain is for that person in pain to appreciate it so much that they say back to the person giving the comfort, you know what? I really appreciate that. Thank you. And then that person giving the comfort says, I'll tell you what, if, if I'm ever in need, may I please reach out to you? And that to me makes all the difference in the world because you now have equalized. 
the roles of both. One person is not the comforter and the other the receiver of the comfort, but you also empower that person who is uncomfortable and, and uneased to say, gee, maybe I can be helpful too. Maybe I can give back to a place where I've been given. And that to me is the whole motivation behind behaviors that change us, behaviors that put us in a better place. So some teachers feel nervous when we start to talk about social emotional learning or dealing with feelings <laughs> and they feel uncomfortable or unprepared to meet students who might have big feelings or big traumas or big worries. What would you say to them about this work? I think it begins with the way you approach lessons and the way you see yourself in the classroom. Are you the purveyor of information or are you someone who listens to what comes from the mind, but is also emanating from the heart, from the soul? Are you someone who is willing to engage rather than distribute? I, I don't think you can be an effective teacher unless you do that. Mm. There's a, a whole group of skills that the business world calls soft skills. And a colleague of mine, Dr. Ken Pasek and I will constantly say, no, 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 no. That's a misnomer. Those are not soft skills. Those are the power skills. Those are the power skills. Exactly. Because if you don't have those, you can't make a difference. You're only obeying because you must, not because you choose to be part of the solution. Mm. Joe, before I let you go, I want to ask you about um, another incident, another teaching incident in which one of your students' work get, went out into the world. So I understand that one of your students wrote a poem that was featured on the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs website on 4th of July. How did that opportunity happen? How did we that read, student's work get out there? We read The Giver. And The Giver, of course, has no color until the end when the colors come. So I said to the students, what a great time to write some poems. Let's write a color poem. You can write about as many colors as you wish. I showed them a, a published poem about colors and said, now create your own. Find the colors, think about what those colors signify, and then let's develop that into some poetry. So while I gave the students time to write, one of my students is sitting in the back of the room, Michael, and he's shaking his head. Finally, he comes up to me. He says, I got a problem. I said, okay, what's your problem? He said, I don't, I'm not feeling it. I just don't get it. I'm not feeling it. I said, well, I'm a poet too. Talk to me. Well, I wrote about red. Okay. I want to write about white. Fine. But I'm not feeling it. Okay, so maybe you want different colors or whatever you do, don't erase what you've done because you may end up having to come back to it and then you won't be able to get to it. So make another document. But what do you want to do? He said, I want to write about the flag, red, white, and blue. Okay. So he wrote this poem, came in with it the next day, showed it to me, and I almost fell out of my chair. I said, oh my gosh. He said, well, this is what I felt. Good. I'm glad you wrote what you felt because this is wonderful. 
and there were a few very small tweaks with with line considerations and whatever and i said you know what i'm going to approach this very carefully okay. i may suggest one or two things but this is all yours and you take it where you will he comes in the next day he says my mom read my poem i said did she like it she didn't believe i wrote it i said don't feel bad i showed it to my mom and she said your student wrote this i said yeah yeah, definitely. So what we did is uh, I said, look, I'm going to try to get this out to as many people as I can and see what I can do. And I reached out to everybody I knew, got, oh, nice job. Oh, tell your student way to go. But I got a note back from the U.S. Office of Veterans Affairs saying, we love your student's poem. Will you write a blog explaining what the poem is? And then we'd like to feature this on July 4th on our website. And so on the website, when you clicked on the website, there was this poem, the screencast of it, him reciting it. He had a, an invitation to go down to Houston to read at um, a reunion of the crew of a ship that was captured during World War II. He was invited, and I was invited also to go to a local congressman's office. He was presented a flag that had flown in front of the Capitol building. It, it was amazing, but that's where the reality comes in. And I think you heard that from Tracy, you heard it from Sarah, and when Shelby was looking for things to put into this book, that's exactly the kinds of things that went in. Um, and I tried to, carry through this project to its, its logical conclusion with my co-author, Lauren Zucker, who couldn't be with us today. And Lauren reached out to her students to do something with the shootings in Florida a few years ago. Right. Now, I wasn't able to do the follow through with Lauren because my mom be became very ill. She had been ill for a while. I was taking care of her. And she came home, went into hospice, and didn't last four days. Mm. I lost her on a Friday, got the call at school, rushed home, but it had been way too late. That Saturday morning, I got a call from my cousin. My aunt passed away. Oh, dear. So within a 16-hour period, I lost two people I had grown up with and was very close to. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is the reason to do these types of activities because somewhere down the road, they're going to impact someone's life and it's going to be powerful. And maybe you can be a part of that. Mm. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for sharing that story. Um, we are really, we have been talking for almost an hour. Amazingly. Uh, I could listen to you talk about and bring these stories from your classrooms to life all day, but I am going to wrap up. I'm going to ask you Shelby to, briefly tell us some things that you noticed as you listen today as the editor who put these works together and in conversation with each other. Well, thank you. Um, I think uh, I, I, it was reaffirmed to me um, why we chose um, these three, three of the six chapters um, to share with you um, what they do and, and why they do what they do. Um, I think it also illustrates 
the importance of the teaching of writing in classrooms and what we do relates to what's happening outside of the classroom walls. And um, I think more than anything, I wanted um, this book to help teachers, give teachers permission to push outside of the standardized formulaic um, mandates that, that they're living under and have proof show for those that make those decisions that this type of writing can and does change the world. Um, but more importantly, it teaches our students to, to be better writers. And uh, so that, that really um, was solidified for me today in, in hearing this. Um, why should we put points on passion um, is uh, gonna stay with me for a while. Uh, we don't think in essays, we think in poetry. That's gonna stick with me. And of course, jo Joe's heartfelt experiences with loss and how we guide students, not only through their own losses, but helping them guide others through their losses as well, why that's um, so important. So um, yeah, it, it's a dream come true to, to bring this book to life. And hopefully with the learning trackers that are listed at the end of each chapter, um, this type of book could be a, something used as an independent study for a teacher wanting to learn and grow in their own craft or for a, a, a PLC, professional learning community in a school, um, or in a writing project site for summer work. Yeah, I have to say, I know I said it all to you, that reading this book felt a lot like attending an Invitational Summer Institute because each teacher kind of put something about their practice out for us for discussion and study and our own growth. Um, and I can really also imagine it having quite a life in writing projects and as a model for teachers sharing their practice. So uh, I want to end by just thanking all of you for putting this book out in the world and obviously for all the teaching that you do every day that was behind that. So thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity and thank you to my colleagues for doing the work in the classrooms that you're doing. Yeah. Thanks everybody. It was, it was an honor to be here with you guys. Yes, thank you. That was an honor and a pleasure for me as well. Thanks you're everybody. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. NWP Radio.